Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out. My name is Noah, but you probably know me better as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you probably know me as Twelve Tone. And today we're going to be talking about concept albums. And as is so often the case, I think we should probably start by defining terms. Hey, I knew it. As is typical, um, <laughs> I think one of the sort of questions around concept albums is sort of what gets to and doesn't get to count as a concept album. Yeah. For a little context for all you listeners out there, I brought I we're talking about this because I'm doing a video on history of concept albums right now. By the time this podcast comes out, uh, that video will probably be out. You'll probably have seen it. Um, yeah. But in that video, I think the phrasing that I use to, to define concept albums is essentially just... Um, a collection of songs uh, in album form linked together by a thematic or narrative. A collection of songs, yeah. an album. Again, the definition of concept album also depends on your definition of album, and we can get into that. But generally, it's one of those things where it's it's not exactly clear, but also you kind of know when it's a concept album. It's an album that has, yeah, a thematic... Uh, link, whether that's instrumentally thematic, narratively thematic, subjectually thematic, you know, and and yeah. the meaning of the work, the meaning of all of the individual songs. Uh, I think that's another big part is the meaning of the individual songs is uh, less on their own than the sum of their parts as a cohesive piece of art. Yeah, I think I'm maybe a bit stricter on this than you might be. A lot of it ties to what you were saying about structure. And how, because like you, you see people like, oh, oh, I did a concept album. The concept is love. And it's like, well, is that a concept album or did you just write 10 love songs? Yeah. And like those sorts of things to me don't really feel like concept albums. I feel like it's not like narrative is, I think, by far the easiest way to feel like a concept album. Like if, if there's yeah. a story that runs through the album in a specific order, then it definitely counts. But I think you can do stuff that isn't that. Well, but it has yeah. to feel, I think, more specific and intentional than just a broad concept for me, personally. I think when you're talking about concept albums, often what you're talking about is uh, music and uh, lyrics and also kind of like packaging and the whole aesthetics around it all coming together into a cohesive theme yeah. that feels like a unified whole. Like something like a, a pretty kind of prototypical example is Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon, I sure. think, you know, it's an easy argument that it is a concept album. But when you look at it, it is kind of just a bunch of different songs about the human experience. But what makes it that sort of conceptual album is you look at kind of how the songs are sequenced that almost seem to be kind of from birth to death, you look at musically, yeah. there's a number of themes that repeat throughout. Musically, there's also sort of a vibe throughout the whole album. Um, and, you know, you know, so as a whole, each of these songs stand up perfectly fine and are great songs on their own. But when you look at it as this album, you realize these songs are sort of arguments in a singular statement that Pink Floyd is making yeah. in the album. Yeah, I think, like, the analogy that resonates for me is, like, if you think of, like, an art gallery, right? Like, you may go through, you, may, you go to a museum, there's a bunch of paintings, and, you know, they're curated in a specific order, right? Like, someone has decided which paintings go where. But if you were to take two and swap them, or if you were to bring in a different painting that was in a similar style, 
it wouldn't fundamentally change the experience of the gallery. And I think a lot of albums feel like that. Like, to, just to use a specific example, let's take Indestructible by Disturbed, right? Like, I love that album. But if you were to take Inside the Fire and Divide and swap them, as to like, put them in each other's places in the run order, it would be basically the same album. Yeah. But if you were to take, like, Lemonade and you were to swap Six Inch and All Night Long and put those in the opposite places on the album, you have fundamentally changed the experience of the entire album and the contextual interpretation of every song in that album. And so, to me, it feels much more like a concept album, like it is much more more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the sequencing is such a big part of... Yeah what makes something a concept album. Well, and I think I think it's tough cuz I think there's a lot of kind of celebrated concept albums. One one of the one of the big ones that I would not consider a concept album is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That usually gets called the first concept album, but the concept is hey, here's Sgt. Pepper's Lo- Lonely Hearts Club Band. Now we're going to play a bunch of Beatles songs. Right. Like there's there's nothing sort of there's no sort of thematic cohesion around the songs. There's an instrumental style around the songs, but that's just an album, Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Albums tend to have genres. Yes. I've heard that. Yeah. Not always. But of that ilk, there are some that are a little more complex and not quite as or maybe not complex, but a little more nuanced with the discussion where like something like Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, that's something that I'm not sure on because it is sort yeah. of this broad, ostensibly conceptual look at the entirety of life. But again, like what art is doing is looking at life and the human condition. And if we take yeah. your sort of litmus test, like I think you could switch around a lot of the sequencing in songs in the key of life. And, you know, you'd probably have a worse album because it's a very well sequenced album, but the album would still be saying the same thing. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just like, what changes can you make without changing the interpretation of other songs on the album? Like, you know, you could also talk about like bringing other songs in. Like you, if you took, I don't know, superstition and put it on songs in the key of life, like it's it's not yeah, it would still work. Yeah, it would still work. It's not like the same exact style, but that's a Stevie Wonder song from around the same period of his life. Like it it, it would fit. It would feel like okay, fine, that makes sense. Uh and it wouldn't disrupt any of the other things and it wouldn't change how you experience any of the other parts. Whereas yeah. again, if you do that to Welcome to the Black Parade and you swap in some uh My Chemical Helena. Romance song from a different album. Yeah. That that's a very different thing. That changes a lot of the story. Which again, I don't think it has to be story, but like Well, I think this is the thing is I, no. I think story I think story is the easiest sort of metric where if an album yeah. has a story, it's probably a concept album. Right? Yeah. Basically, not all concept albums have stories, but all albums with stories are concept albums. I, I, like, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable yeah. saying that. One of the interesting things that I kind of want to get into here, and this is what a lot of this, a lot of my sort of thoughts that I wanted to explore in this is there's kind of a, a pervasive idea uh, right now that, you know, th- there's some people that say essentially almost all albums now are concept albums. 
And I think that's kind of true. I mean, I don't think every release ever, but if you look at a lot of the biggest kind of most prestige artists right now, every Taylor Swift album from basically 1989 onward has a good argument for being a concept album. Every Kendrick Lamar album is a concept album. Every Kanye West album is a concept album. Every Beyonce album post uh, self-titled, I think has a pretty uh, convincing argument for being a concept album. You know, her most recent one, Renaissance, I could kind of go either way on that, where I'm not sure if it's a concept album or if it's just a house album, you know? (laughs) I mean, it can be both. I mean, this is something we talked about with Lola when she was on. This sort of tendency towards concept albums ties in with the tendency with the increasing tendency of artists to actively narrativize their careers. Yeah. And to turn themselves into characters. And this I think sort of ties back to the question of Sgt. Pepper. Like a lot of I think what makes that feel to a lot of people like a concept album and I agree with you to be fair. Uh but like I think the reason that sort of sticks out is because it was very much them making a set of characters that represented that period of what they were doing. And so it felt like there was a story there, even if like listening to the album, there's not really a story. I think an interesting comparison to Sgt. Pepper is uh, Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, because Sgt. Pepper is ostensibly creating characters, but really it's just giving a name. It just names Billy Shears, you know, and then Ringo sings as Billy Shears. And that's kind of just Ringo And then they put on some costumes. Yeah. 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 Whereas Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust is a really interesting one for me because it it kind of pretends to have a story, but doesn't really have a story. And a lot of the songs in the middle, like Soul Love is just kind of a blues song. But also there is this kind of character. And the fact that Bowie adopted that character on stage and kind of in the media created this whole aesthetic around it. I think in my mind, that's kind of what raises it to the concept album level. A lot of the greatest concept albums, and this is something I talk about in the video, like part of what concept albums do is they allow artists to create in uh, like interdisciplinary ways. They allow artists to expand their vision to narrative to fashion, to writing, to all sorts of things. I mean, on that note, I wonder if part of what makes Sgt. Pepper feel like a concept album to so many people is actually Yellow Submarine. Ah, that's a, I I had not considered that, yeah. The songs are not just the songs off Sgt. Pepper, uh, which complicates it. The basic place is Pepperland, and they are sort of coming and learning and replacing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Those are characters in the movie who happen to look exactly like the Beatles, it's complicated. Watch the movie. It's a pretty yeah. good movie. It creates a mythos, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it creates yeah a story around uh, the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band that isn't really there in the album, but is sort of, if you take that interdisciplinary look, is there in the movie, which of course has its own album attached, which you know, sort of anyway, uh, that's complicated. But yeah. <laughs> And again, doesn't just use Sgt. Pepper songs. It has some original songs. It has some stuff from other albums. So it's it's not really a movie of Sgt. Pepper, but it is in a lot of ways incorporating the characters of Sgt. Pepper. 
Well, and I think when you look at, it's funny, I think something that a lot of concept albums have either movies attached to them or dreams of movies attached to them. Like you have Tommy, you have The Wall, those actually have movies, but there's a lot, it seems like very, very common for when artists get to a certain level of kind of auteurship, there's a dream of doing, you know, either like, a series of connected music videos. The weekend actually does a pretty good job of having it's not it's his his videos aren't exactly like narrative, but there's a thematic cohesion and a sort of story yeah. that you can find through his career. Janelle Monet uh, did it for a while and then kind of I mean, maybe she'll return to Arc Android. We can all hope, but is is doing <laughs> other stuff now. But yeah, I think there's a lot of, I, I I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of musicians who really want the sort of prestige of film and the prestige of doing, doing yeah, something that can be shown on a big screen that is a narrative tie-in of movies. Well, it's, it's prestige, but it's also just, you know, artistic scope. Yes, absolutely. It's one of the things about music that like I think is really appealing about music Pop music. I'm going to say, I'm going to narrow it to that scope because what I'm about to say does not apply to all styles of music. But like in the pop music world, one of the things that's really appealing, but also really limiting is that songs are typically like three to five minutes and you have a couple sections. Those sections mostly repeat and then you're done and you go do the next one. And so I think that can be really appealing in terms of being able to do a lot of things and to be able to explore in a lot of ways. But for some artists, at least, there's also an appeal to trying to make something that's larger than that, to try and make something that's more cohesive and bigger. Like, you know, you and I see this in like the educational YouTube world where a lot of our colleagues kind of secretly want to be making documentaries. Yes. And that's fine. That's like, personally, that's not really a thing that I like I feel, but like I see that with a lot of people who are like, I would love to do like a 90 minute TV documentary or something. Yeah. And cool. Good luck. Love that for you. But like the concept album is sort of the documentary of pop music. Yeah. And that it's a way of taking this, coming from this place where you're doing a relatively time limited thing and taking that and expanding it into something that is much larger and I don't know that it necessarily is more ambitious, but feels more ambitious. I I think something that concept albums, both when they're looking for movies or also when you're doing sort of big stage tours or things like that, something there's there's a desire there, too, where music music is a wonderful medium. Obviously, Uh, music is wonderful and powerful and human beings. You can do a lot auditorily that you can't do visually, but ultimately yeah. Most humans are visual beings. We like seeing stuff, right? And I think yeah. that there's always a desire. And, you know, you see it kind of birthing in sort of the, the what I what I call like the golden age of concept albums in the 70s is when you really start to have the, you know, uh, the idea of these concept albums with surreal album art that kind of tells the story or yeah. gatefold records that you can open up and look and have these things like lamb lies down on Broadway is a great example of that has some really, yeah. really incredible art sort of depicting the story. And I think there's a yearning for something visual. And I think film is kind of the, yeah. you know, the biggest, most ambitious 
visual medium that exists. So there's a lot of uh, attraction yeah. to that. Yeah, no, definitely just a way to communicate on more levels. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you can do that with a music video without being a concept album, right? Like you can, if you have a self-contained song that tells a story, you can tell that story in a music video. Uh, but you can also, if you want to do like a full-length movie, you need more than one song. Yeah. So it helps to have, to be able to tie those songs together into a narrative. Although as we saw with Yellow Submarine, you, you don't actually need to do that. You can just play a bunch of songs and it works. This actually also gets me to something that I wanted to talk about, which is that even the even like the the sort of best uh, rock operas and rock opera is and rock opera slash hip opera, folk opera, any of that. I'll categorize all of that under kind of rock opera, which I would call as a yeah. subcategory of concept album. Um, but even a lot of the best, most successful ones, the narratives are not particularly strong like there's there's lots of interesting yeah. narratives but i mean you look at tommy which is uh not the first rock opera but one of the first like really successful ones first mainstream one yeah in, in case you're curious out there listeners the first one's probably sf sorrow by the pretty things yep. the story of tommy yep. is absolutely friggin nuts like narratively it's about this deaf mute blind kid who the first act is just him going through a series of successive traumas played very weirdly on very weird emotional beats. And comedically often. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he becomes a pinball wizard, and then he starts a cult that ultimately revolts and kills him. And, you know, there is something there. It, it is, it's an interesting meditation on kind yeah. of the deification of rock stars and the cyclical nature of trauma and abuse. Uh, like there are, there are a lot of things thematically happening there, but when you look at it as a story, it's not, it's not very cohesive or coherent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think part of that is because it is told through music. Yes. Uh, like I think most rock operas, I, I don't know. I, I don't can't, don't want to speak for anyone else, but like I have almost always found when I listen to a rock opera that like when I then go like read a synopsis, I'd be like, oh, that's what it was about. Yeah. You know, like because it, I mean, it's not which isn't isn't a bad thing, but like, you know, something like, you know, Welcome to the Black Parade is like I, I think sort of an interesting counterpoint to the Tommy one in that the story there is kind of really simple. Uh, yeah, it's just a dude who is dying, uh, I believe specifically of cancer. I believe they say that at one point. It's been a while since I've listened yeah, to it. Yeah, there's a song called Cancer, isn't there? Okay, so yeah, I think you're, yeah, you're right. There is a song called Cancer, so it's probably cancer, statistically. But uh, <laughs> it's sort of him dying and being like, okay, well, I have nothing to live for. And then eventually coming around to being like, you know what, I'm going to fight. And... Like try and live, and like it, it's a, it's a really that is it's a pretty classic story. Like there's lots of stories that follow basically those beats. It's not hard to see that level of it, but like uh, there's a lot of other stuff that goes on that like until you understand why it's connected, doesn't really feel connected. Yeah, like songs like Mama, which great song. Yeah, and you know again fits perfectly in the album. 
you sort of have to understand why it fits into the album before it makes any sense that it's there. One of the things with this is like a lot of rock operas are deeply influenced by musical theater, which makes a lot of sense because musical theater is a very, you know, narrative focused musical thing. But the the thing with musical theater is that if if you've ever gone and seen musicals live, so much of the storytelling is done through staging and dance. And there's a lot, a lot of storytelling that happens there. And you just, you know, you get maybe a few music videos to do that if you're lucky with a rock opera, but really music on its own. And I I think this is something that I wanted to talk about here is that it's interesting because I think on its own, telling smaller stories, especially telling singular like song stories, I think story songs are incredible narrative mediums. A lot of country music tells really, really remarkable, tight, beautiful stories in its lyrics. But for sort of more extended, epic storytelling, I don't actually think music is well-suited as a medium. And I don't think that that means, to be clear, I don't think that means these albums are bad. I mean, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is one of my favorite albums ever recorded. It's a very good album. But the plot is completely incoherent, right? Like, yeah. It's nonsense. Yeah. It's gibberish, but like... It, it's great. Yeah. I, I think Lamb Lies Down and I think a lot of the um, a lot of the best rock operas kind of succeed specifically because they don't try to get too barred down into the literal narrative. And the literal narrative yeah. is more just a, you know, thread that they can carry. And with this thread, yeah. they can kind of weave it into all these more abstract emotional things. Yeah, I think a lot of it is like, you know, each song is like a scene. And those scenes, either again with narratives or even in ones that aren't specifically narrative, uh, like Dark Side of the Moon, you have these like sort of scenes or fragments that all fit together, but they're not trying to be like, because you can write one 45 minute song that tells a complete story. Thick as a brick. But that's not really what they're trying to do, unless it's thick as a brick, which still somehow doesn't tell a clear and coherent story. Again, yeah, thick as a brick. If I recall correctly, the kind of narrative conceit is that this is an epic poem that a child wrote lambasting everything about society. And it's that's that's kind of in the like Sergeant Pepper's brand of theme where it's like, Okay, so so yeah. the concept is Jethro Tull wrote a really long, amazing song lambasting everything in society. Well, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, as, as you know, um, like the origin of it was that he was just mad that people kept calling Aqualung a concept album. Yes, exactly. Because uh, he was he was like that. I I didn't write a concept album. I just wrote some songs. Uh, and you know, there are themes on side A and side B, but like he didn't view that as a concept album. And so when people kept calling it one, he was like, "I'll show you a concept album," and uh, that's how thick as a brick happened. <laughs> Which, to be fair. One of the most impressive pieces of musical yes. spite I'm aware of. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of that era of Prague, you look at a lot of the kind of greatest sort of like like first wave proper sort of Prague rock, like the yeah. King Crimsons of the world, the yeses of the world. A lot of these artists 
have albums that like is in the court of the crimson king a concept album i don't really think so but it feels no. like a concept album when you listen to it right i think that's just because it has really long songs yeah like, the actual like it this like in the court of the crimson king song has like three or four different movements and like you have the return of the fire witch and everything and like that if that was expanded out into an album i would call it a concept album but i think it's just a really long uh narrative song more than anything i i think this is the thing too is often especially in that prog stuff i think people want to look at this prog stuff as sort of narrative and concept albums because like that era of prog pulls so heavily from narrative fiction, right? From fantasy yeah. and sci-fi and all of these narrative mediums. But you can pull from narrative mediums without being explicitly narrative yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it is also that that, that era of Prague is sort of aesthetically defined by ambition. Yes. And so I think there's a tendency to want what King Crimson or Yes or whatever was doing to be as large in scope as possible. And so it becomes appealing to think of this entire album as one thing, uh, which, you know, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. I mean, I think it's funny because even like, like, you know, if you look at lists of best concept albums, there's probably a lot of people that put 2112 on there. 2112 is not a concept album. 2112 is a narrative suite on one side and then just a bunch of songs. It's not a full yeah. concept album. 2112 itself is a very cool narrative suite. And, you know, I don't I don't love the politics of that story, but I think as a story, it tells it and executes it pretty well for the kind of rock opera medium. Yeah. Like, I think it does that story better than a lot do. But it doesn't span the whole album. Half of the album is just a bunch of Wicked Rush songs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is sort of the thing with Aqualung as well, is like, I would say side A and side B are both sort of concept albums. Like, it, if you ignore Locomotive Breath on side B, like, I don't think that one quite fits yeah. in with, like, the, you know, the My God and Wind Up and Him 43. Speech. Yeah, that's just a Wicked Blues jam. <laughs> Yeah, that's just it, it's not clear what that's doing in there if we want to view it as a concept thing, which is part of why that's probably not the best framework. Uh, and, you know, there, there's something to be said for viewing those two sides as making two related statements. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of where that interpretation comes from. But I feel like, you know, the album that has Aqualung and Cross-Eyed Mary on it uh, is not really the album that has my God and wind up on it. Like that's not one coherent concept to me. Like I said, you can sort of, if you want to view it as like painting some sort of dichotomy, that's an interpretation. Uh, Ian Anderson does not like that interpretation for whatever that's worth. I think that there's a lot of yearning among music fans and especially among prog fans. People really want to look at stuff as concept albums because concept yeah. albums are really cool you know like i i remember when i first got into like when i was in high school really getting into music prog was some of the first music that i really got into and i remember just having this desperate thirst for concept albums i remember just absolutely you know loving yeah. lamb lies down loving the wall wanting more and more of these things and you know i think 
in that state of mind, you can kind of try to read concepts into stuff, which there's also nothing wrong with reading themes and concepts yeah. into stuff. Um, it's part of the joy of listening to music. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough because, I mean, there's also things, you know, you know, if we move away from Prague a little, there's also things like like Bob Dylan's Bringing It All Back Home. That's an album that I think you could tentatively call it a concept album because it's got this concept of the electric and acoustic sides and each side kind of has corresponding songs on the opposite side and it definitely has yeah. a scope and vision but also I wouldn't really call it a concept album but I also wouldn't really call it you know a normal straightforward album so I think there's a lot of spaces a lot of albums that occupy kind of spaces between yeah. where they are they are thematically cohesive but that's not necessarily an intentional thing or yeah you know I think there's there's albums that kind of become concept albums in retrospect, almost when people look at, you know, what's happening in the world or, you know, how it shifted stuff or whatever, but maybe weren't really envisioned as concept albums in their moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fundamentally the problem that like art theory runs into in every conversation, which is like, you can't draw hard lines. There's, yeah. there's always going to be gray area. It's interesting there to hear you talk about intention uh, which I agree is one of those things where like, I think you and I have both in the past largely come down on the side of like art is about interpretation, but yeah. like for concept albums specifically, that kind of does feel to me like it needs to be intentional in order yeah. to really count. I don't know that I could really explain why, but I think that for me, it feels right to say that if it wasn't envisioned as a concept album, then you can still find a story in it, or you can still find a concept, you can find that structure. Because a lot of albums have some sort of structure just by the fact that people thought about sequencing and, you know, they, they wrote specific themes. It feels like finding a concept album in retrospect is very different for me. Yeah. In a way that, again, doesn't necessarily line up with how I tend to think about art interpretation in general. But I think that for this, like, I guess there actually has to have been a concept yeah. in order for it to be a concept album. I think I think a really interesting kind of case with this is what's often called the first concept album, which is Woody Guthrie's Dust Bowl Ballads, which in my mind is kind of neither concept nor album. Um, like the, the Dust Bowl <laughs> Ballads, it was released before the LP as a medium. And in my mind, the LP as a medium, I, I think you can have albums post LP, but the LP yeah. as a medium really sort of defined what we consider albums. But it was released uh, on um, six uh, 78 RPM discs with a song on each side. And these are a bunch of songs about the Dust Bowl and about Woody Guthrie's you know, travels through the Dust Bowl and telling the stories of these people. But that's also just because Woody Guthrie had just spent the last decade traveling through the Dust Bowl, collecting folk songs from those people. It's not like Woody Guthrie necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that it's called Dust Bowl Ballads does play is a point in favor of the kind of concept, conceptual nature of it, because it is all yeah. folk songs about this. But 
I think it's something, I think it's a piece that's kind of retroactively been given this label because we look at, you know, what sort of, what concept albums are now. Whereas another early one that I have in the past and am pretty comfortable calling one of the first concept albums is Frank Sinatra's In the Wee Small Hours. Because in my mind, I mean, I it, you might call it a proto-concept album because it is just a collection of sort of sad songs. But with the whole way it's packaged, yeah. the whole way it's arranged, it seems like everything with it is trying to create a whole that's bigger than just the songs. And I think for me, that's that's one of the big things that makes it a, a, a proper concept album. I mean, on that, and this is a slight tangent, but going back to a thing you mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of like arrangement, one thing that I think is really interesting about concept albums is that it gives you space to sort of have conversations between songs. Yes. And... Probably the, the the most obvious example of this, to my mind anyway, is uh, "Wish You Were Here" and yeah. the the Shine On motif that they play, and that like shows up in like multiple songs, and is just ties together a lot of the album. As with a lot of concept albums, you can look at them as individual pieces. I think you gain a lot by looking at them as one connected piece, leading through you know "Welcome to the Machine," "Have a Cigar," etc. And just having all of that tied together musically as well as conceptually makes it feel even more cohesive. I think one of the things with Wish You Were Here that really ties it together, too, is the packaging. Like, I think I think the fact yeah. that the packaging and, and it's not that the packaging, you know, says this is a story. The artwork is it's peak hypnosis. It's very abstract and conceptual, yeah. but it does a very good job of underlining what's being said and kind of presenting all of this as a cohesive whole. And that's what, in my mind, one yeah. of the big kind of signifiers of In the Wee Small Hours is, is the fact that it is like, it seems like the, it seems like the packaging is such a big part of it. And when you look at a lot of the, you know, sort of greatest album artworks and greatest concept album artworks, like the packaging does such a good job of underlining the story, like in The Wall or something like yeah. that. Like not just, you know, it, yeah. in case you've never seen the vinyl of The Wall, uh, like the the album cover I'm sure you've seen, like the actual record is a gatefold that opens up and has these sort of figures that appear in the wall and the whole thing it really serves to underline the fact that this is a piece of art with scope and scale and ambition with its vision. Yeah, for for the record, I'm realizing, uh, I think when I was talking about having a motif running through the thing, I was actually thinking of the wall and that another brick in the wall motif. Like, mm. bow, da, da, bow, and how that shows up in like, yeah, everything. like a dozen songs on that yeah. album. Uh, like not not just the ones that are like another brick in the wall, part one, part two, whatever. It's just like it's everywhere. Uh, I I believe that does also happen with the Shine on You Crazy Diamond one, but like uh, that that was the one I think I was actually thinking of. That one's a much more yeah thorough yeah. A lot of Pink Floyd albums do things like that. Like even Dark Side of the Moon. Like there's a couple things, but specifically uh like Nick Mason's drum beat um uh with the little like pickup on the kick drum the pum 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 pa like that is that is all yeah. throughout Dark Side of the Moon. And yeah, it's it's I think Pink Floyd are really good at making 
you know, you know, the wall is the kind of they're kind of big, explicit rock yeah. opera. But I think the three albums before that, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here and Animals are really good concept albums in the looser sense and version. And yeah. Pink Floyd do a good job of between packaging, between arrangement, between music, between returning to a couple themes. Uh, like they just do a really good job at underlining the fact that this is an album that's meant to be listened to as a singular cohesive work, even if there's not necessarily a narrative. And even if most of the songs yeah. could probably stand on their own and have stood on their own as singles. Do, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think this brings me to a band that I knew I really wanted to bring up when we started this conversation. Yeah. Uh, which is Coheed and Cambria. Yes. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So th this is sort of taking the concept album idea to the next level, and they're basically a concept band. Yes. Like, setting aside one album that they made, it's like after a while, they, they I think it's like their sixth or seventh album, but like that one aside, everything else they've ever done is all tied into this ongoing story of the Amory Wars that is a comic book that... Claudio Sanchez, their lead singer, is writing. Uh, not all of it actually has been published, but like, there's this rich, like, narrative, like folklore, basically the story behind it that guides all of this, and like all of this, like the album string together to tell this complete story. Like we were saying, a, a lot of it isn't necessarily immediately obvious from the songs themselves on their own. You do have to go look up some of the supporting material to understand what's really going on. But like, again, it, it's it's just the next level of concept album where you have not just an album telling a story, but you're making like seasons of a TV show. Yeah. About this one story. I think with Coheed and Cambria, like the the having to go look at other things to tell the story, it's like the other things are part of the story. It's all one cohesive work. Yeah. It's just a multimedia work, right? Which I think is really impressive. Yeah. And I think I think it's interesting because I think they're like they're not the only ones to do kind of career spanning or multi-album ones, no. but they're the most successful at it, you know, and yeah. the most like I mean, I even mentioned before Janelle Monet. her first three or four albums are all kind of spanning this thing. Devin Townsend uh, does a lot of kind yep. of uh, series and has various like Ziltoid, The Omniscient and all of these um, wild things. But Coheed and Cambria are able to do it in in a way that I think few, uh, I, I think often when you look at um, people trying to tell these stories over multiple albums, the the thread really gets lost. Styx is a great example with that. Yeah. They have this whole dystopian Kilroy saga, and it kind of falls apart. Um, but I think Coheed and Cambria, I mean, I haven't listened to all of them, but I, I'm familiar with some of them, and I have some friends that are uh, big Coheed and Cambria yeah. fans. And like it That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> but by all accounts, <laughs> it seems it seems like they've been able to keep this going for some time and keep the story interesting and keep building on the lore and stuff like yeah. that, which is really, yeah. really cool. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it is that like there is genuine lore. Yeah. Right? Like you look at something like, you know, Tommy and there's a story. But yeah. 
with something like Coheed and Cambria and the Amory Wars and just how much stuff has has never made it into onto an album, has never was never supposed to make it onto an album. It just like you say, is all like you're supposed to listen to the album while reading the comic books and you know, like for the stuff that hasn't been published, like looking up plot synopses, because like it's all out there and there's a lot yeah. of information about what the Amory Wars are and who Coheed and Cambria are because they're specific characters in the story that the band is named after. So you have all of this, like you said, like lore is just, the, it's the right word. Like you, yeah. to the extent you can be a Coheed and Cambria fan in the same way you can be a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Where you don't just like the movies, you go and like read up about these secondary characters and you read the extended universe and you go on what I was going to say, Memory Alpha, but that's Star Trek, whatever the Memory Alpha is for Star Wars. <laughs> and Wikipedia, I Wiki- think? Yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, yeah. Okay. it is Wikipedia. I knew that. Like, you, you can really, you can engage with it as a world, as opposed yeah. to just a story, which I think is really fascinating. And like I, like I said, like I, I don't know that I've seen any other bands accomplish that level of depth to it. I've seen a lot of bands try. Yeah. And, and like, fail. to be clear, in, in keeping with all the other concept albums we've discussed, the actual story of Coheed and Cambria and the Amory Wars is bonkers. Like, yeah. it's, it's completely absurd. Uh, and it's so, it's over the top, like, and like, campy as hell, but that's what it's trying to be. Uh, and that's, that's the goal. But... Like, so I'm not saying that as a criticism, but it is certainly true. I think when you look at a lot of the best kind of rock operas and things like that, like I think I think camp just works well for the medium. You know, Tommy yeah. is incredibly campy. The wall takes itself very yeah. seriously, but there's some real moments of camp there. Like the trial is yeah. incredibly campy. It's so good, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if, I mean... It might also be because a lot of this stuff is rooted in musical theater and musical theater is incredibly yeah. campy. The very medium of having somebody sort of, you know, dramatically sing their feelings, it's campy, right? Like, no, there's there's that. And also like rock specifically is a genre that's very much about spectacle. Yes. And 100%. so you take those incredibly campy music theater influences and you combine them with that like spectacle of rock and and yeah. what you get is just it's going to be a lot of fun it's not necessarily going to make a lot of sense and that's sort of intrinsic to the to the genres in a way which is it's is fine is good but it it like it makes it so that like I, a lot of the best concept albums if you look too closely are kind of silly but like that's the fun of it i think it's really interesting because when you look outside of rock, if you look at hip hop, I think hip hop, I think there are a lot of yeah. very silly, very campy hip hop concept albums, to be clear. Like Kanye's graduation trilogy is campy as hell. Um, but if you look at like, I think I think some of the most sort of like profound kind of grounded concept albums come in hip hop. You look at yeah, like I Atrocity agree. Exhibition by Danny Brown. That is a harrowing harrowing depiction of addiction in album form and it's incredible you look at good kid mad city that is cinematic 
narrative. I mean, Kendrick is Kendrick is a master of concept albums and everything he does yeah. is a concept album. I mean, w- even like Damn, which is his least sort of like concepty album is an incredibly tight and interesting concept album when you yeah. kind of get into it and read it as such. Um and yeah, I yeah. think I think the the sort of especially for things that are more narrative like Good Kid Mad City or like Splendor and Misery or something like that. Yeah, I was going to mention Splendor yeah. and Misery, yeah. The the ability that hip hop has where you can just talk, like you can just say things. Yeah. I think that makes it a lot easier to storytell and I think hip hop yeah. hip hop as is is a very narrative genre both in terms of that it tells yeah. story but also in terms of built into its structure the like the rapper tends to be a narrator whereas if you look at rock sometimes the singer is a narrator much more often the singer is a character in stories in rock yeah. whereas in hip hop you have this sort of observational you know sometimes it is sort of a first person narration but hip hop is such a storytelling genre that there's this sort of rich uh culture of narrative in it that makes it work really really well with concept albums yeah yeah i mean i think a lot of that is and this this is going to be an oversimplification but like we're talking about you know rock valuing spectacle yeah and i think that for hip hop a lot of that is traded for valuing authenticity 100% and that results in much more grounded narratives and lets you tell mu- much less goofy stories yeah without so w- w- successfully tell because you you can t- try and tell very serious stories with like you know in in the style of like 80s hair hair metal or glam rock or whatever it's probably not going to work very well yeah, it's not going to work nearly as well as something like Splendor and Misery does. Yeah. Uh, Whereas when, yeah. You, when you want to get the- more serious with rock, like Wish You Were Here is a great rock concept album yeah. that is very serious, but it's not narrative at all. It's yeah. completely sort of no. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Thoroughly, thoroughly about feelings. Yeah. Because I mentioned hair metal and that sort of reminded me of like another direction to take this in is like the metal concept album. Yeah. Is again, I think, very different from either of those. Like, you look at something like, or I mean, to, to look again at the level of concept bands, you have something like Ghost. Yeah. Where, like, there's just been this long, not only like telling a story, but being a story. Like, the lead singer, Papa Emeritus, has been replaced like five times now over the history of the band. And it's always the same guy, but yeah. he's playing <laughs> different characters. And that's part of the story is this papal succession of Papa Emeritus throughout the history of the band. Uh, well, I was going to say, I think very in the same neighborhood as Ghost is Guar. Um, again. Oh, yeah. In yeah. the sort of, yeah. the the yeah, yeah, metal has this sort of, uh, I, I feel like, yeah, a lot of these like Ghost and Guar and bands like this are kind of, and weirdly, actually, I would put, uh, they're not metal at all, but Gorillas in this category as well. This sort of, sure immersional conception where this this it's it's an ongoing concept that you yourself kind of immerse yourself in and yeah the the joy of ghost yeah. is you know throwing yourself into this world where you are you know worshiping ghost essentially right yeah and again it goes back to the lore like you know real dedicated ghost fans 
uh, will understand sort of the role of the unnamed ghouls and will understand like what it means, what, what like the reign of like, what was it? Papa Emeritus Nile? Uh, the, but anyway, who, who that, like all, all of these different characters and what they represent in this content and what the story is and how that story has developed over the course of the band's lifetime. But like, on the other hand, one of my favorite concept albums and one that I think is vastly underrated and more people should listen to carefully with appropriate content warnings is House of Secrets by Otep, which I think I have never it's heard that. very good. It's very dark. Yeah. I love it. It is one of the most impressive pieces of musical art that I have ever encountered, to, in, in my opinion. It is something that you need to go into carefully because it is content warning. It's kind of, not even kind of, very explicitly about sexual abuse. Mm. And it's one of the unambiguous best bands to come out of the new metal movement tackling that with just like it's really well executed and it's really well done it's a phenomenal album but again it's one that i have to be careful recommending because yeah. i could easily see someone having a very bad time with it but it's also extremely good that sounds to me a lot like like danny brown's atrocity exhibition which is extremely good but yeah. like listening to it is it's an incredible, powerful experience because it's a really good piece of art. Yeah. It's not a pleasant experience. You know, it's it's a yeah. pretty unpleasant experience listening to it because it's you're kind of just it's an album, you know, if if you don't know it, if you don't know it, um, it's an album that's someone just telling kind of his story of addiction. Uh, but it is just yeah. an a harrowing, unflinching look at you know, one of some of the uh, some of the like darkest things that humans can go through, which it sounds a lot like uh, yeah. a lot like this Otep album where yeah. it's yeah, 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 really impressive, really impressive piece of art, but not exactly, you know, I'm going to unwind by throwing this album on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely it, it's. It's one that I've listened to so many times that it's not like as uncomfortable for me at this point, but it's one that yeah. I still mostly put on when I'm like, you know, in a headspace where like feeling like crap is going to make me feel better. That's yeah. when I reach for House of Secrets. Mountain Goats also, but, um, in a very different way, a lot of Mountain Goats albums yeah. are like All Hail West Texas, especially like that album is brutal and harrowing and it is a concept album. Uh, that that one's a concept album about John Darnielle's uh, youth with his abusive stepfather, um, and it's yeah. it's incredibly incredibly brutal to listen to, but also just like a weirdly weirdly uplifting for the the subject yeah. matter, and just a really beautiful piece of art. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of a lot of kind of folk and folk adjacent stuff are capable of doing really interesting concept albums like that. Like uh, Hospice by the Antlers yeah. is another one that is um, that that's about that's a concept album about a hospice care worker falling in love with one of their patients. Um, and it's it's bleak and heartbreaking, but it's really, really a really powerful album. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I guess sort of when you step away from like 
the sort of spectacle side of rock and like the campy side of that and try and tell different stories. I think that there's a lot of opportunity for music to do that in ways that I think are often maybe a little more direct, like just because, because again, music is, is a really powerful vehicle for creating emotions and you know, if you want to put someone in an emotional place, music is one of the best tools to do that. Yeah, there's just the level of abstraction that music provides kind of paradoxically brings you closer to these emotions because yeah. it, it it allows you to put yourself in there. Another one, another great kind of yeah. rock concept album um that in that in that ilk is a uh, skeleton tree by Nick Cave, uh, which is yeah. a concept album. I mean, that's that's one that's I, I, I don't know if I would call it a concept album or album or not, because it's it's kind of a concept album, but it's kind of also just Nick Cave writing songs about processing the grief of his son son's death. And like it's it's yeah. a concept album, but it's also just, you know, a pretty confessional musician writing a confessional song about one of the worst things that can ever happen to somebody. Yeah. And again, this this is true of music in general. This is not just true of concept albums, but I think that it's a thing that concept albums can harness really effectively is that music makes it very easy to say not just like less here's what happened like and more here's how I feel about what happened or here's how it felt to be in that moment. And because if you string a lot of those together, again, this is like, like I was saying, if you view each song as a scene, then you can sort of build moment by moment, here's how this moment felt, here's how this moment felt, and string those together in a way that tells a complete story and has a complete emotional arc without having to walk through as many of the narrative details. And I think that's a lot of why you see concept albums that don't have a lot of narrative details, is that's not necessarily the best way to utilize the tools available to you in an album. Well, and again, again, kind of on that on that topic, just another couple albums that that do that very well. And again, I don't know if they're concept albums or not. Um, le- like Leonard Cohen's "You Want yeah. It Darker" and David Bowie's "Black Star," both albums m- of artists meditating on their own death. The albums are entirely about that. The albums are very conceptually linked by that, but also they're just albums. It's just artists singing about, you know, what is ahead of them in life and how they are coping with that in that moment. So it's a, it's a difficult thing to figure out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It's a lot of that is again, like it, what is a concept album? What is an album? What is a concept, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I, I definitely, it's an interesting set of questions. Yeah. You know, that brings us full circle. <laughs> yeah. That is literally where we started. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Did, did you have any more thoughts you wanted to get in? No, I think I, I talked about Coheed and Cambria, which was the only thing I was planning to do. Yeah. Uh, so beyond that, I think I'm good. I thought I thought before we uh, before we go, just give a chance to we don't need to talk in depth about any of them, but if there's any concept albums that we haven't gotten a chance to mention that you think people should listen to, I, I thought it would be a good chance to just sort of, you know, shout out some good uh, some good concept albums if you've got any uh, in your mind. 
Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Splinter and Misery. I would also throw out there existed an addiction to blood, yeah. uh, which I, I'm not like entirely confident that I would call that a concept album, but I think I would. Yeah, it's definitely um, on the uh, on the verge. Yeah. Yeah, and we mentioned like Lamb Lies Down. We mentioned Black Parade. Uh, American Idiot is, you know, yeah, iconic good album. But yeah, Queen Two is a really underrated concept album. Oh yeah, no, completely agree. Uh, but like specifically on Coheed and Cambria, while I'm thinking about it, um, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star Four, Volume Two, No World for Tomorrow. That's easy to remember. Well, it, it's no world for tomorrow. I just said the entire yeah. album name uh, because I'm pretentious. But yeah, I, I think that that is a particularly good one. Uh, if anyone yeah. is interested in just hearing Coheed and Cambria at their best, I think that's a good entry point. And because a lot of the narrative is vague enough, I don't think it's like spoilers to start with that and then go back to like the second stage Turbine Blade, I believe is what the first album is called. That might be wrong. Look that up before... Like, Wikipedia knows what the first album Coheed and Cambria made is, so you should probably check there instead of taking my word for it. (laughs) But I think it's the second stage Turbine Blade. And I'll throw in... um, Willie Nelson's Red-Headed Stranger is amazing. Um, Really, just really really delightful concept album and that's a cool yeah. one because it's it's kind of a like opera like it's a narrative one but most of it is sort of country standards but it's kind of rejigging them rejigging all these sort of archetypal country songs into a narrative which is really cool another one that we didn't mention but that is just a a perfect album is uh sufian stevens illinois or also carrie and lowell um both really, really incredible, incredible concept albums. Uh, definitely worth checking yeah. out. Yeah, uh, The Wall by Pink Floyd. Yeah. It's a kind of obscure yeah. little album. I don't yeah. know if anyone's heard of it. Has has some cool tracks on it. I don't know. It, I don't think it's going to catch on. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we're good to do an awkward goodbye. All right. Let's uh, start doing that, I guess. You know where to find us. Go watch my video on concept albums. Uh, consider consider this podcast a conceptual extension of that video. Yeah, this is the lore behind that video. Yes, exactly. Uh, all future polyphonic videos will be based on Ghost Notes episodes, uh, just telling the story of Ghost Notes as a companion piece. So, Brilliant. I love it. That's probably not true. Uh. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.